Letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Please, follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled up to all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. According to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church. In Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I praise you for this text. Father, I know what you've shown me and how feeble I am trying to explain it. But Father, I thank you for what you've given me. I pray that my brothers and sisters will understand this text more and more. And it will become a reality in each of their lives. We thank you. We praise you for this time. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, believe it or not, we're going to finish up chapter 3 today. In a few hours, anyway. We have been looking at this and understanding it. We understand that it started off there in verse 14 as a prayer. A prayer to the Father. And in doing that, he is concluding the theology of the first three chapters. And it's, it's no different than in verse 17 of chapter 1 when he shows us the beginnings of creation and how God's plan before there was a creation. He prayed that we get it. Why? Because uh, you and I have temporal minds. And regardless whether you want to admit to it or not, we do our best to create God in our own image. And he is beyond our image. We looked at a lot of stuff last week in the book of Job on uh, how he has measured the dust, how he has set the boundaries of the oceans, how he has flung the stars into the heavens. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, just how are you going to put your finger on that one? And that was when Job understood the holiness of God. He understood the majesty of God. And then God says... No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't get it. And, you know, when I look at what's around us now, I mean, Job had no idea what a DNA strand looked like or what it was capable of. Okay? Didn't know. But Job did know that the earth was hung in nothing. It was a sphere. And he also knew that there was a line that went around it that separated day and night. And it just kept moving around and around it. You got to remember that Job was the oldest book of the Bible. Not bad, eh? 
But then we look at this. It says, I have bowed my knees before the Father because he's come off an explanation of more theology. And what I have seen in this, and I've shared this with you over and over and over, we, as Christians, have a mindset that says we're just to make converts. Let's just get everybody saved. This text says no. There's a fullness to God. And I call this start your engine. I was raised around horsepower. Cars with horsepower. And I remember we used to go every year, uh, not necessarily for the Indianapolis 500, but we'd go for the time trials. And that's where everybody was trying to qualify. Then at the race, if you were there for the race, you would hear it announced over the speaker. Gentlemen, start your engines. Guys, that was so long ago. I remember everybody was just trying to break 200. Now everybody's trying to stay out of 300. I don't know. So, I mean, 200 mile an hour, if you're standing up on the top of a camper and you're watching them go around there, you're sitting there going... That boy there cooking. <laughs> Hope you don't mess that up. I think about the church in that perspective. Uh, when I think about the Spirit's power that is there in every believer. Uh, and it's not a measured. It's the fullness of the Spirit. But the question is, are you yielded? All right. Are you really willing to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, you can say those words. But are you really willing to say, your will be done? I remember him talking to Isaiah and he's telling him that, you know, I need somebody to go and nobody's going to listen. It's going to be awful. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be terrible. They're going to hate you. They're going to want to kill you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be useless. But I need to send a messenger. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Who's going to sign up for that mission trip? They will reject you. They will hate you. You will be despised. But you'll do it in my name. Are you really willing to say your will be done? And then, you know, the the, the key is, well, yeah, I think it'd be a great idea if Nicole would have God's will done. Okay, just leave me out of it. That's the Spirit's power. Because when the Spirit is indwelling us, because the Word of God dwells in us richly, then Christ becomes comfortable. Instead of cleaning up all of our messes, cleaning up all of the things that distract us. He's comfortable there. And once he has done that, you start understanding a love that surpasses knowledge. You start understanding a love that humanity has no concept of. You start understanding a love that surpasses knowledge. But then, all of a sudden, 
you realize that you are now filled with the fullness of God. Do you understand what that means? Filled means dominated. I am dominated. That's the original language. I am dominated with the fullness of God. Okay, Isaiah 40 says that the water fits in the hollow of his hand, the span of his hand is creation. That fullness you are now dominated by. He who set the measure on the globe, that fullness. He who knows when a sparrow falls, that fullness. He who knows the hairs of your head, that fullness. You know what's amazing about this text? Have you ever heard this? If you pray anything in my will, it'll be done. Okay? So, we, we run around. What's his will? Okay? Well, let me tell you something. Have you ever read the last word of this chapter? Last word. You know what it is? Amen. It's a cool word. Sometimes it's translated verily. Okay? Truly. You know what it's saying? It concludes right there with that word. You know what it says? 14 to 21 is God's will. Truly. When Jesus would say, Amen and Amen, you know what that means? There's no part B. People ask me on a regular basis, what is God's will? This. Did you ever think about that? It is God's will that you be strengthened in the inner man with a strength of divine nature that allows Jesus Christ to dwell comfortably in your soul so that you would be rooted and grounded in faith to love. And that you would know a love that surpasses human knowledge so that you would be dominated by the fullness of God. It's an interesting thought. Verses 20 and 21 is what we're cluing with today. And I guess if you wanted to look at it, you could call it a summary of what he has said. But when I look at 20 and 21, I look at it and I say, this should be the goal for every Christian. For every Christian. But you know what I've learned? There are a whole bunch of Christians who are afraid of this. I was talking to a believer the other day, a couple of weeks ago actually. And he was talking about grace. And he was hammering grace and grace and grace and grace and grace and God's grace for this and God's grace for that. Listen, I'm a fervent believer in grace. But let me tell you something. If you're going to be honest with this book, you're going to realize that you've been bought and paid for with a price. And so when you think about his grace, understand this. 
It costs you everything. Because you know why? It costs him everything. And it is by his grace that you belong to him. Because see, 2021, he who is able. You know, that is God's glory. That's that internal power that, gentlemen, start your engines. I remember sitting in a, a funny car. If you don't know what a funny car is, it's it's really a, appropriately named. It's a tube frame with four tires on it and more motor than should be legal in a tube frame. And you sit in a bucket. And then they got this little plastic thing that falls down on top of you and it's supposed to look like a car. Okay. Uh, it's got the rear tires on it are about this wide until you dump the clutch and they get about that wide because of the horsepower and the torque going to the rear end. Now, I got to sit in one and a guy, of course, the guy being brilliant told me, now sit there and don't touch nothing. So, okay. So I just sit there. So you're sitting in this and it literally feels like a bucket. You sit down in it. You got this thing about like this. And I was like, but the wheels only go. It ain't like, what you got that for? But it's like, it ain't got an airbag in it. So you sit down in it and they spin start this sucker. And you've got eight pipes pointed at you. They're about, I don't know, maybe two and a half feet away. The thing's running on, uh, I think it's nitromethane or something. Because it's a smell that is very unique. And when it starts, the universe begins to shake. And you're sitting there going, I ain't touching nothing. I just need to know how to get out. Okay, so you've got this smell. There's flames jumping out of the pipes. And he's just kind of rumble, rumble. And you're you're just shaking all over. You know what? That's the church, people. We got more horsepower than is imaginable. I remember seeing a boat that had an airplane motor in it, and the guy says, I'm only pushing 3,200 horse. He could do 200 mile an hour on a river. Why? But when it started it up, it sounded just like one of the old World War II fighter planes. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. I mean, you literally could call this a doxology. See, there's two things. There's doxology and a benediction. Okay? Doxology is praise. Okay? A benediction uh, is usually a petition for help. Okay? It is praise. One of my favorite doxologies. Let me give you this one because it is really, really... it's. Well, maybe one of my favorites. Okay. I think the reason is, is that I heard a Scotsman preach this. And maybe it's kind of got a little thing for me. But I'm not going to try a Scottish accent. Sorry. 
The doxology speaks for itself. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who was first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's in the chapter 11 of Romans. That's what's being said here. What he's doing now is concluding his prayer with praise to God for what he has shared. I told you that these are henna purpose clauses. You've got to do step one, strengthen in the inner man. Step two, you will have Christ dwelling in you comfortably. Step three, you will be rooted and grounded in love, and you'll know the love that surpasses knowledge. Step four, you will be filled with the fullness of God. Step five, you will operate on infinite power. I like it, he says. Now to him who is able. You know what I like about that? It's not you. It's him. It's not what you are capable of. It is not what your talents are. It's not what your specialties are. It's not what your abilities are. It is to him. Who is able? I'll ask you a simple question. Which one of you can get up in the morning, tomorrow morning? I'll let you, I'll give you a day break. Okay, you can get up in tomorrow morning and you're going to be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, no problem. Just go do it. See, with all that we've seen over these last few months, we know it is him who is able. When a believer follows this path, when a believer is in this order, now God is able. And I believe that there are a lot of people who are fearful of it. I really do. What if it costs me what? What if I have to sell my house and go hang out in a jungle with some aborigines? What if you do? I know a lady. I was with her when I was in Israel. She was uh, had her doctorate in linguistics, which I thought was pretty interesting. I mean, I, what would make you... <laughs> Did you just see that in a book and think, wow, that would be kind of cool. Okay. But she had it, and she was single. And she was... I, she was attractive, but I'm, you know, but, but she was single and she had a goal. You know what she wanted to do? She was going to go to Mongolia and she's going to create a language. And then when she, cause they don't have a language, they didn't have a written language. She was going to create a language and then she was going to write it down. And then she was going to translate the Bible into the written language that she invented so that the Mongolians would have the Bible. Do 
During the course of that, she ran into a guy named Hudson. He was trying to evangelize in Mongolia. Realized that you can't evangelize people who ain't got a Bible. He ran into her. She was getting her Bible written down. They fell in love, got married, got three kids. They run a seminary right now in Amman, Jordan. For Sudanese that flee the Muslims, go there so they can get strengthened in the Word so they can go back and share the gospel with their people. That's a pretty serious cost. Considering her family were both in the medical profession, her doctor was some big dude at the Mayo Clinic. So they had had a lot of stuff. She gave it all up so that she could create a language so she could write the New Testament. That's nuts. No, that's the cost. But you know what's really amazing about it? It was effective. How many people will spend eternity with her because she said, I'll do this. How many people will spend eternity with her and her husband because he's willing to forsake everything that the United States has to offer so that he can reach an oppressed people in Sudan and teach them how to rightly divide truth? Do we realize as powerful as God is, we hold the key. We hold the key. That's how I turn it on. I know a a friend of mine who had children. And as her children were being raised, uh, she didn't work. And she speaks often of the tremendous blessing of not having to work because you, you, you put them down for a nap and you had uninterrupted Bible time. And she would spend the time in the Bible. Well, as the children grew, and uh, she had to go back to work. And she'll tell you, she regrets that the most, that I don't have that time anymore. You think about how much time that you have every day that you could spend in the Bible. Because the Word of God dwells in you richly. The inner man is strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit energizing the Word of God so that Christ is comfortable. And when Christ is comfortable, you start understanding the love that surpasses all understanding. That's when God dominates you. And yet you have turned the key on. You have to turn the key on. I used to know a middle management drug dealer who carried a Bible around with him everywhere he went. Why? Well, it's kind of like a rabbit's foot. But you know what? I know Christians right now who carry a Bible around have no idea what's in it. But I also know that they're sitting there with the most horsepower that the world has ever seen and they are afraid to turn the motor on. 
Now that you have this inner strength, now that you have the indwelling of Christ, now that you have this miraculous love, now that you are filled with all the fullness of God, now He is able to do what? Turn the world upside down with you. The New the King James Bible calls it exceedingly abundantly. Here it says, do far more abundantly beyond. Okay? That's like the, the word gazillions. Okay? But you just see what he says next? I can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what? Okay, now you sure about what you're going to read? Beyond what you can ask and beyond what you can think. Hmm. Hmm. Think about the things you ask for. Lord? Okay. What about the things you think about? That power works in us, but it won't work until now. It won't work until you're strengthened. It will not work until Christ is comfortable. It will not work until you start grabbing a hold of the height, the length, the depth, and the breadth of Christ's love until you are dominated by the fullness of God. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus makes a statement. This is part of the upper room discourse. He's getting ready to go over to the Garden of Gethsemane and prepare for the price. And he tells his disciples there that you will do greater things. Okay? Now, it's not greater in quality. It's greater in quantity. Okay? Jesus had three years, and he reached into Israel, the nation of. 2,000 years later, we've reached the globe, and we're still reaching. Over the centuries, the church, the body of Christ, have seen the power of God over and over and over and over again. I think about Rachel going to Mongolia and learning their language first so she could write a language. I don't know about you, that's a good thing I wasn't assigned that task. And she did it. I still stay in contact with them. They want me to come to Amman. (laughs) Wait a minute. I go to Azerbaijan and I kind of stand out there. I know I'll stand out in Jordan. Over the centuries, the church. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart probably the most, and I think if it breaks my heart, what must it do to my king? When I think about the church, I immediately think it's the body of Christ. And yet, I have traveled internationally in a number of countries where the church is, in some cases, illegal. And I see how flippant we are in the United States with the church. 
There's 54 evangelical churches in Castle Rock. Think about that for a second. I could go to a different church every week for a year and not go to the same church twice and have a spare. Why? Well, because most people do not cherish the body of Christ. Why? They've never stuck the key in the ignition, let alone turned it. Verse 20 says, He is able. He is able to do more than you can think. Don't you, you ever thought about that? He is able to do more than I can think. He could even do more than I can ask. He is able to do it. All you can ask or all you can think. Not only that, He can do above what you can ask or what you can think. He can do abundantly beyond what you could ask or what you can think. Hmm. Exceedingly. Abundantly. You know what? I deal with a lot of people. Lord, I don't know if you can use me. <laughs> Lord, I don't think I can do this. You know what the Lord says? You can't. I can. He can do beyond your dreams. He can do infinitely beyond your dreams. That is the power of God in its fullness in the believer. The church. The body of Christ. I'm going to ask you a question. All right. Right now, Castle Rock Baptist Church. We got that power? Simple question. Brothers and sisters, I've experienced it. I've lived it. I know the reality of it. I want to ask you. You? Dude, I was middle-level drug dealer. I was looking at 20 to 40 years. Look at where I stand now. I have taught on the steps of the Temple Mound. I taught in the synagogue across the street from Peter's house. I have taught in Orel. I've taught in St. Petersburg. I've taught in Moscow. I've taught in Baku. I have taught in Tbilisi. And I've taught... In Kavalari. That is beyond my thinking. And by the way, I didn't ask for it. <laughs> Taught in London. 
Stuttgart, Germany. Other than that, it's kind of mellow. Not bad for a convicted drug dealer, huh? I know the reality of this text. I want you to know the reality of this text. The church is the body of Christ. It should have the power of God in its fullness operating. Listen, I don't think we've begun to see what God can do if we would just flat out start the engine. Start the motor in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are gathered together, my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is unified. Please don't forget this. When the church gathers together, it gathers with the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ. And whenever we leave, whenever we go out from here, each one of us is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think as long as we follow the path that Paul gives in this prayer. You know, I listen, I hear people, well, we need to win people to Christ. (laughs) Try this once. And see what you do. I had a a guy, Dimitri. Glasgow was his church plant home Bible study thing. He had been uh, security on a Russian nuclear sub in the Pacific that used to trail the Pacific fleet in case there was an altercation. And he never trusted Americans. And he kept coming to these classes that I was teaching. He had his Bible study. And uh, I don't know, about the third time, I think. I think my third trip over there. I was getting ready to leave the next day for Moscow. My interpreter says, Dimitri and his wife want you to come over for dinner. Now, in Russia, that's the highest honor you can get. And I was like, well, man, he's, he's, he's frowned at me since I've known him. Okay? So I go over and we talk. And it was a wonderful time, a wonderful fellowship time. And then I left. And I think it was about a year later I went back. And when I arrived in Orel by train, um, Valeri, he's got this big... The Cheshire cat grin on his face. And he shakes my hand, gives me a hug, tries to kiss me. Tried. He says, you need to get rest. I'm in, dude. (laughs) Whatever. He says, tomorrow you speak at Dimitri's church. I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's, That's awesome. He says, for Dimitri's funeral. What? And then he explained to me he had uh, been on the bus coming back from where the house of prayer was, and he died. And his wife asked, knowing that I was coming into town, if I would do the funeral. 
Well, all right. <laughs> so I go to the funeral, and I teach out of uh, the book of Revelations, the second coming of Christ. It's one of my favorite places. And, you know, we're going to see him again. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be totally awesome. And at the conclusion of the message, this man comes up, a young man, young man comes up weeping. And he falls at my feet. And, you know, my Russian is not good enough to go, oh, what are you doing? Okay. And he's, he's weeping and he's just crying. And I don't know who this is. And Valeri comes to me through an interpreter. He says, that's Dimitri's son. And I said, well, you know, yeah, if my dad died. I'd, and he says, no. He was excommunicated from the church having an affair with a married woman he's not been in the church for years and he's asking for repentance okay exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can ask or think Listen, we have not arrived. We talk about winning people to Christ. We talk about teaching the saints. We talk about reaching the world as long as I don't have to get involved. But the same power source is there for all of us. Let me ask you a question. I reached Dmitry's son in Glasgow, Russia. Are we doing anything here in the valley? I had a friend of mine ask me one time, you know, if your church was gone, would anybody know? And then I started thinking about it. How many churches could be gone and no one would ever know? I've been praying for us. Name by name, every day, that we would get out of ourselves, then watch exceedingly abundantly take over. More than I can ask or think, and God can do more than that. Just you think about that. More than I could ask or think. And God can do more than I could ask or think. Listen, the only contentment that I can understand is when God does exceedingly abundantly beyond whatever I'm asking or thinking. Listen, for, let's see, 25, 30 years, I have been in some type of church leadership. And all those 30 years, I have been learning to be a pastor. Ever since I got here, I've been learning. And some things I have to learn over and over, but I'm still learning. You know, for me to stand right here is beyond what I could have ever thought. Beyond anything I could have ever imagined. Then I definitely would have never asked for it. 
what I have seen is truly amazing in my life. I, I can't even... I could go on and on and on. But you know what is really scary? What is the future? Whoa! Okay, what's the future for you? Because it's there individually. And when it's there individually in our lives and living it, then it will be there collectively when we're together. My petitions to the king have been begging him that every one of you would know the power that is there. It's not intellectual, people. I mean, the Word of God dwell in you richly. But this thing isn't a bunch of knowledge. It's not, I'm good at Bible trivia. It masters you. It dominates you. And once it does, you cling to it. And you hang on tight. There is no limit to what God can do. Hey, mount up wings of eagles, right? I can run, not grow weary. I can walk and not be faint. That's what it says, right? He can accomplish these things, and he can accomplish things that you and I have never even dreamed of. But we must follow this pattern. A yield to the strength of the Spirit. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Dwell richly in the Word of God. That's where my strength comes from. Why? That's when Christ will fill me. Why? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Because when Christ is dwelling in me, He's comfortable. I start comprehending that that cannot be understood, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then the next thing you see is the manifestation of the fullness of God. But I want to close with 21 because the Apostle Paul is smart enough to know that when this power starts flowing through, there will be a problem. Okay, you know what the problem is? Pride. Pride. To Him be glory where? Where did it say it was going to be? And so why would I neglect the church? That's where God is glorified. That's what it says. God wants to be glorified in the church. It is unto Him. And then He says what? Amen. You know what that means? I already shared with my will. Christ made it possible for God to be glorified in the church. God, in eternity past, wanted to show His Son uh, how much He loved Him, and so He got Him a bride. The church. Christ so loved the Father, He says, Hey, I'll make that bride as holy as me. 
and present it back to you. Christ came and redeemed the church. By Christ Jesus, God will be glorified in the church. We need to grab a hold of this, especially in this day and age. He can't be glorified in the church until the church uses the resources that God has provided. I see churches right now that are nothing more than business entertainment centers. That is not a God-glorifying church. A God-glorifying church is redeemed people dominated by the fullness of God. Remember early in chapter 3? He said that God wants the angels to give Him glory by what? What is done in the church. If the church isn't what it should be, it cuts back on the glory that goes to God. Okay? If the church isn't what it should be, then God isn't glorified as He should be. Brothers and sisters, this is practical. If we just go along, okay, and we're doing our little deals, all right? Just these little deals. This, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a little Bible study thing here. I'm going to do a little thing here. We'll give a little to the Salvation Army. We'll do whatever. We'll do these little deals. You know what that is? It's the most awful thing on the planet. It's a dead church. Because you know why I say that? The conclusion of the world looking at that church is that God is just going along doing His little deal. And if the church is dead, guess what? God is dead. I mean, really? Churches today are rock concerts. I've been some really good rock concerts that drew way more people than the churches and probably raised more money. If we see God move, we see God's power move through His church, then who gets the glory? God does. We then are basically... A living advertisement of our God. No, I'm afraid many are. Because they're doing their little deals. And everybody looks at it and says, well, yeah, that's a little deal. Heard a pastor the other day, and I've told you about this. He said that he gave God permission to heal. I said, listen, you need to get you a bigger God. My God doesn't ask for permission for anything. If God is to be glorified in the church, it is because the church is moving in an expression of the mighty power that he has. I think about in just my life, my little puny life, what God has done and the reason that he did it. You know, you always say, oh, why in the world is he sending me to go do this? 
And then I look at this text and I say, that's why. That's why. Let this be our living, brothers and sisters, when we leave from here. Don't cheat yourself out of what God can do. Don't be thinking that you've got some kind of resources that can assist this. Because the resources that every believer has are the same resources that created existence. That resource. Why do I see so many take the name Christians and act like beggars? When God has given every Christian all that God is worth. How in the world are you a beggar? And yet I watch it. Cling to all that he has. That he has already given to us. We are no beggars. We should understand who we belong to. Why? Because it's his glory that's on display. I mean, for no other reason. Now, if he wants me to have to go learn a language and write it down so I can make an alphabet and so I can write the New Testament, we're in trouble. Okay, I've already explained to him I don't want to do that because i got one bad eye already. Listen, the word is powerful. It can discern the soul and spirit. And every one of you possess it. I pray that each and every one of us see this reality so that you will do what is beyond us, do what can be done through us by the power who spoke existence into being and let us walk in the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Why? This is what Jesus wants. I'll take you back to this. Forever and ever. Amen. Do you understand this section is what Jesus wants for every believer? Kind of impressive. Let's pray. Father, come before you, the author and the finisher, the alpha and the omega. Oh, my king, I thank you. I thank you for how you, this text has stirred me. But Father, it has comforted me, it has counseled me. And Father, it's even holding me up. Thank you, Father. That, uh, there are times you bring to remembrance. And there's times as you say, Thus saith the Lord, I told you. Father, I pray for Castle Baptist Church. Father, all the things that we have going outside of here are pretty amazing still to this day. But Father, I pray that each of us would be stronger in the inner man. That Father, Christ would be comfortable. And that Father, that miraculous love would overwhelm us. And that Father, we would cling to that. And we would 
absorb that so that you would dominate us with the fullness of who you are. And that Father hmm, would start our engines and start doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or ask. To you, my King, Christ's name, amen.